response to the climate and ecological crisis requires heaps of innovation. We need to transform entire industries, reskill the workforce and create new jobs. That's one huge challenge, but one giant opportunity. So how does this affect you and your sector? Content with Purpose partners with professional member associations and trade bodies to delve into the future of their industries, asking the tough questions and showcasing the innovation propelling our net zero ambitions. Subscribe to this podcast to learn how the professionals in those industries are contributing towards our collective efforts to reach net zero and a more sustainable and prosperous future. Leading the Charge, Opportunity in Transition, a podcast series produced by Content with Purpose in partnership with the ECA. Welcome to Leading the Charge, the ECA and Content with Purpose podcast series that delves into how our journey to net zero is transforming the electrotechnical sector. I'm your host, Rob Smith, and the focus for this episode is taking a close look at the real-world value of collaboration. Now, when you consider that almost 40% of global emissions come from buildings and construction through their life cycle, and that buildings are responsible for almost 35% of final energy demand, you can see that there are enormous changes that have to happen over the next couple of decades if we're going to stand any chance of reducing CO2 emissions enough to head off the worst effects of climate change. And you can't make those kind of changes without some really serious thinking about how different sectors will have to work together in the future, phasing out gas central heating, for instance, and replacing it with alternative heating and cooling systems, raises all sorts of questions around building design and the materials supply chain, uh, but it also offers huge opportunities to the electrotechnical sector as all that colossal amount of work is undertaken. So here to balance the negatives with the positives and hopefully sparking some enthusiasm for these huge opportunities, I'm joined by Jade Lewis, who's the Chief Executive of the Sustainable Energy Association, and Professor John Lovett, who's Chair in Global Challenges at the University of Leeds. Both of you, thank you very much for for being with us today. Um, Jade, perhaps I could start with you. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what the Sustainable Energy Association actually does. Yes, yeah, so I'm Jade Lewis. I'm Chief Executive at the Sustainable Energy Association. I suppose you could say we're a membership organisation um, or you could say we're a collaboration. We're a group of the companies that want to change and decarbonise buildings. Our vision is to um, ensure that all buildings are fit for the future. So this means that they're net zero carbon, they're warm, they're healthy and they're energy efficient. And to deliver this, we're going to need all these companies to come together and collaborate. And that's what we do. Um, We advocate to government. We come up with policy ideas, um, suggestions for how we can move the policy agenda forward so we can deliver homes and buildings fit for the future. And we collaborate with others across the industry to make sure that this is a reality. Okay, there's loads we've got to dig into there then. Excellent. And and if we could just talk a little bit about uh, kind of in terms of decarbonisation and electrification and low carbon buildings, um, how within the built environment is collaboration going to be working? I mean, it's really key, isn't it? Yeah, I, absolutely. And, and I think for me, collaboration is absolutely essential when you're looking at buildings. In, in practice, to decarbonise buildings, we're going to need to address the building fabric. We're going to need to, as you said, move away from fossil fuels, start thinking about low carbon technologies. This means thinking also about ventilation. We'll need to think about flexibility, time of use of energy. All these things require a multitude of trades, knowledge and experience and businesses coming together to deliver those 
solutions. Um, for me, I've been a big um, champion of bringing together the construction and the energy sectors. The energy sector's got a lot of experience. It already has all the solutions to these things. The construction sector's got the scale and the way of working, of, of, of project management, of bringing together trades to deliver things. So we can bring the sectors together in collaboration. That will help us decarbonise our buildings. We also know that um, collaboration aids innovation. If you bring like-minded people together from different backgrounds, lots of different ideas and personalities, it helps to deliver the right solutions. And we've seen this in construction on projects like Crossrail. So government is using the public sector and different procurement rules to ensure that any contractors working on big major contracts work together and innovate together and then they can come up with bigger and better solutions and deliver things like Crossrail on time and, and, and overcome some of the problems. It's also um, been a huge factor in things like construction with the formation of the Construction Leadership Council. That's brought the construction sector together with a big, big voice. And that big voice means that government listens. It was fundamental in getting construction working through the lockdown. Very early on, they got together and came up with some solutions. And, and it's been fundamental in making sure that um, the government has funded things like research into construction and transforming construction, things like the Active Building Centre, where they're coming up with solutions for um, developing energy positive buildings that will help with that decarbonise agenda and the energy supply issues we face today. So collaboration is going to play a key role across all of those things and already is doing in a lot of areas of construction and the energy sector. Okay, we will start picking some of those threads apart in just a moment. I want to bring John into it now, Professor John Lovett, uh, who is the Chair in Global Challenges at the University of Leeds. John, thanks ever so much for for being with us. Give us a bit of a flavour about what your role actually involves. Uh, Thanks very much, Rob. It's it's really nice to be with you today. my my role, uh, my job title is Chair of Global Challenges, and uh, I can assure you there is no shortage of global challenges out there. So a lot of my work is is actually international. I work with international bodies um, and in many different countries are, are around the world. Um, and I think one of the things is that uh, a lot of those challenges are common to, to everybody. Um, and uh, in terms of collaboration, what I try and do with my work is to... Uh, provide leadership to to build to bring people together uh, <clears throat> on interdisciplinary research and education projects uh, in the university. That's across traditional university faculties. Now Jade was talking about the the, the, the construction industry and the collaborations that are that are taking place within that. Now all of that within a university would be situated in the in the engineering faculty. So you have different kinds of engineers working with each other. But what I'm doing with my work is that I'm bringing together uh, economists, uh, sociologists, linguists, uh, and bringing them to work together in collaboration with the, uh, with the engineers. All right. Okay. So that's a pretty broad spread of things. And, and a lot of the stuff that Jade was talking about a moment ago, um, that there's an awful lot of different strands right the way up to the very heart of government uh, that, that are actually talking around these things and thinking about these things now. Do you think we're actually getting any better at collaborating um, and, and trying to tackle these big issues in a more thoughtful way? I, I, I think there, there are a huge number of positives out there. 
Uh, and the, not only the UK, but the world has changed enormously. I mean, if you look, for example, at the rise of uh, uh, electric vehicles and, and the installation of charging points and the rollout of smart meters, uh, okay, it's not perfect, but it's happening. And that involves a huge amount of collaboration from the policy level right the way down through the grassroots, the electrician who's going in and, uh, and fitting those kinds of technical innovations. Um, but of course, in order to make that happen, you've got to have those, uh, the economists and sociologists on board as well, who are looking at that uh, in a much wider policy context. One of the things that I'm really interested in is, is something called institutional economics. People talk a lot about market economics where, you know, the power of the market. But actually, the, the market itself and uh, policy is all governed by what are called institutions. And institutions are the, uh, the laws and the social norms that provide the incentive structures for human behavior. And if we get those institutions right, then everything else kind of follows along. Oh, well, and, that'll be straightforward uh, then, won't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and of course, that's, that's the trick is, is to get the institutions right. And uh, it doesn't always happen. Leading the charge, opportunity in transition. This episode is sponsored by UK Power Networks and 24-7 Group. UK Power Distribution is an independent distribution network operator providing the power of choice for electrical asset adoption. 24-7 Group is an independent electrical, mechanical and facilities management company. Learn more about how they are leading the charge towards a sustainable future on our digital series website, leadingthecharge.eca.co.uk. Leading the charge, opportunity in transition. Well, let's let's get into a bit of the nitty gritty around things um, and actually it, put this into kind of real world context a bit. If we talk about decarbonising the current building stock, for instance... I mean, Jade, it's, uh, it's a, that's an easy sentence to say. We're going to decarbonise the current building stock. It's, what, 30 million buildings in the UK at the moment, and very few of them are currently carbon neutral. Yeah, exactly. That That's the real challenge ahead of us, um, is how are we going to address that built environment? As you said, around 30% of emissions coming from the current built environment. We've got to decarbonise this if we're going to meet those carbon targets. We've been trying this for many years. We've had lots of government policy try and deliver this. Um, but they tend to take a very individual measure-based approach. You know, we've seen support for insulation, then we've seen support for renewable energies. The latest talk is around heat pumps. And, and we try and pick off individual measures, whereas in practice, we're going to need to do all these things. We're going to need to address the fabric. We're going to need to address the heating systems, the controls. We're going to need to think about unintended consequences, which means things like damp mold moisture. We need to think about ventilation. So it, it's bringing the whole sector together to deliver those solutions. So this is the big challenge. And we've been calling, as well as a lot of uh, other organisations across the construction industry and the Construction Leadership Council for a national retrofit strategy. We need to join this together and start doing things collectively. Um, there have been some brilliant moves at local level and in pockets to get the sector together. But in practice, we're not across the whole of the nation looking at this building stock and coming up with a plan for how we're going to address those buildings. So we need to get everyone together to try and do this. And the Construction Leadership Council is making a start. If we make a start as industry and we start to collaborate a lot more, we're more likely to get that government support and get that national retrofit strategy off the ground. 
And what kind of responses are you actually getting from government? I mean, we've had a lot of churn at the top end in uh, in recent weeks and months. I think we all know that. You know, Liz Truss <laughs> was in charge for 44 days and there seemed to be a huge swing in, in kind of policy intent under her leadership. And now we're swinging back in, other, in another direction again under Rishi Sunak. It's not 100% clear yet which direction that's going to settle in. But are you... Are you positive from the conversation both of you that that you have with people at at senior levels that they get it that the policies are going to be put in place to allow this kind of collaboration to happen john yeah i i think that's absolutely right that uh, there are a lot of positives out there and, and again to kind of come back to the global scale if we look at decarbonization as a byproduct of the the, the much wider global shift of uh that, that concept of thinking global and acting local. And, and that's one of the, the, the main reasons why we're, we're, we're making the shift over to, to, to net zero. Um, and the, the local positives that are coming out of that are, are huge the, in terms of the uh, employment opportunities. And yeah, there, there are constraints, there are challenges, as Jade mentioned, um, you know, building capacity, the human capacity that's needed to, to implement the, the the net zero um, to encourage the kind of incentive structures that needs to come out of central government in terms of uh, providing uh, subsidies, tax breaks, opp- and those kinds of financial opportunities are are, are really important. Um, but it's it it's all moving in the right direction. And as Jade mentioned, there are some really interesting specific pockets of activity that I, I think are leading the way. Okay, give us an instance then of an interesting specific pocket of activity. Okay, well, one of them um, is one of my colleagues at the University of Leeds uh, has uh, uh, done uh, um, is set up a a housing cooperative called LILAC, Low Impact Living Affordable Community, and it's a co-ownership model. Uh, and they've used straw bales to construct the, uh, the, the, the housing community. They've got mechanical ventilated heat recovery system. Each, uh, each house has uh, photovoltaic solar. It's got solar, solar thermal for space and hot water heating. Um, and they work together as a community making communal decisions and so on. Uh, with that kind of... Uh, co-finance community, you can sidestep a lot of the problems that are associated with, um, you know, the market-based building where uh, a developer will come in and they'll build a house, uh, but they're not concerned with the costs of running that house afterwards. Whereas if you've got a community co-finance thing, then the people who are putting the money in are having to live there and pay the energy bills after. I mean, there, there are two sort of like big, big elements that immediately occur to me talking around this kind of thing. The first is that as an individual house owner, retrofitting all of that stuff that you're talking about, which is obviously going to be a brilliant opportunity for people in the electrotechnical sector, if they're going to put in air conditioning or, or heat pumps or photovoltaic and all those kind of things, brilliant, great. Um, but it's expensive to do at the moment. So firstly, how do you encourage people to make those kind of changes at, at, at an individual level? Because that project you're just talking about there, you have as a um, it's a collective, isn't it? So therefore, you you have to have multiple people putting into the pot, and that spreads the cost. Yeah, it spreads the cost, um, um, but it, the incentive there is because people are living there; they have the long term incentive to make sure that their uh, energy use is uh, is is minimised. 
Um, to come back to that, that idea of the institutional environment and how to uh, encourage people to, to, to put in those kinds of um, uh, net zero technical innovations, um, but there are a lot of institutional barriers. I, I live in the North York Moors National Park. Um, I have a listed building as a house and the, uh, the National Park won't let me change a lot of things on that house. You know, I can't put in solar panels. I can't even put in uh, double glazing on the windows because they, they, they say it has to be the, the original windows. So uh, in changing those kinds of institutional arrangements to encourage people to, to shift to lower energy use is, uh, is really important. Well, Jade, let, let's bring you back in on that. I mean, that's an, in, an important, you know, thought process, isn't it, for everybody in the sustainable sector, that you, you have to make changes and that there is a lot of inertia in the system. There's a lot of reasons why people don't necessarily want to make changes, either the expense or the aesthetics or, or the fact that they just would rather not bother with doing it at all if they can get away with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we recognise that consumer demand is going to be one of the key and blockers and then one of our key objectives if we want to meet our, our vision. Um, but there are people that can pay. Um, it, it's getting more, obviously, there's a, a cost of living crisis at the moment and, and those that can pay are fewer. So we need a lot more support um, from government for those that can't pay. But there are a lot of people that can pay. And then the question is, why aren't they? Um, a lot of it is lack of awareness. Um, there is a real lack of awareness on things like low carbon heating systems. So we need, um, you know, nationwide campaigns to um, showcase what these are, what they're all about and raise awareness. Um, we also need a lot more help and advice. There isn't a joined up coordinated advice service across the UK. So if you, even for people that want to do this, to go out and find trusted installers, to go out and find the right advice that is independent and gives them the right, um, the right steps to take um, for those that want to, you can't get hold of that information. So this does need to happen. Um, then you need things that are going to drive people to do the right thing as well. So we've been calling on things like stamp duty and council tax to be linked to the energy efficiency of the building. Small little tax changes that have worked in the automotive sector that could equally work in the built environment if they were brought in. Um, there have been a lot of, of changes in the last couple of years, banks getting involved, um, government funding for green finance institutions to come up with financial sort of models to help people um, that, that can't afford it at the moment, linking things into green mortgages so that when they move home, which is the time when most people retrofit their homes anyway, is after moving. Why aren't we tapping into those now? Why haven't we got the right drivers in place? We've been talking about this for many years and it's not happening yet. So we need government to do their bit and change things. Um, things like taxation on electricity bills um, mean that moving to electrification is more costly and it shouldn't be. It's it, cleaner energy should be cheaper. Um, we need the advice. We need the industry to offer the solutions and come together for that. And it needs this collaboration piece to come in so that we can offer consumers an end-to-end -end service for their building on what they can do to decarbonise um, and for those that don't want to, to drive them forward. And, and in terms of the, the electrotechnical sector and the opportunities that we keep talking about, how difficult or easy is it for them to actually get hold of the materials that they need to offer the services that we're talking about? 
the, the materials are there. Um, there's insulation, there's heat pumps, um, maybe not the scale we need, so that does need to be ramped up, but the, the, it is all there. It's that kind of advice piece on, on what steps you need to take, um, and that is lacking. There are things like retrofit coordinator courses now that the industry has developed that will train people that can come and look at your home and say, right, you need insulation, you'll need a heat pump, you'll need battery storage, these are the things you need, and this is how you can go about it. But it's early days yet. There is and funding there are training courses out there but they're not at the scale we need and i think the big problem though is confidence a lot of industry will move if there's a big market there if there's huge demand if they can see that but the demand isn't quite there we all know we need to do this but the consumer demand isn't there so the industry will go well i'm going to wait until there's the demand there why would you spend the money on changing your business models on retraining all your staff on investing in capacity if you can't see the future so while we all know it needs to happen there aren't the kind of moves and the right legislation at the moment to make it happen so everyone's a little bit concerned and with the changes in government why would you get behind anything that the government's saying at the moment when it's changing every five minutes so we need confidence we need long-term policy absolutely and, and john i know that one of the things that you're particularly uh, interested in and concerned around is right at the base level in terms of electricity generation that, that there hasn't been a coordinated policy around how you physically generate the electricity in the first place. Yeah, I, th- I think there's some really interesting innovations that, that are coming out with electricity generation and distribution uh, in forms of microgrids. Um, and this is something that we've been doing quite a lot of work on. And interestingly, the, you know, a lot of our work is in developing countries and they're starting to lead the way in um, putting together microgrids in places where there, there isn't any electricity uh, uh, generation and distribution. Um, and those technologies are now starting to come back again into developed countries. Um, uh, islands uh, such as Alderney, we've been working with them there for uh, designing a microgrid for Alderney Island. Um, uh, in Scotland, the island of Egg has developed a, a, a microgrid that supplies the community there. And uh, a lot of other places are starting to look into the uh, the potential for putting together microgrids where you've got peer-to-peer connections between houses so that uh, houses that are uh, generating electricity are uh, feeding it into other houses and they're also connected to the, the national grid. With those microgrid setups, how have they come about? Is it, is it being driven by communities or driven by local authorities or driven by a supplier who comes in and says look chaps I've got a great new system here why don't we try it how is this actually coming into existence well in places like the Isle of Egg in in Scotland of course they've uh, developed the microgrid because they need to uh, if you want to have electricity then you've got to be able to generate and uh, 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 connect each other um, so that you can you can have a reliable electricity supply because it's the, the cost of putting a, a grid connection in there is just too much. Um, in, in in places uh, in developing countries, uh, of course, these these microgrids are developing in places where people don't have any electricity. So this is uh, uh, bringing in these new renewable generating sources. Solar PV is now uh, a lot cheaper. Batteries are getting cheaper. 
um, to enable people to have electricity in places where they didn't have electricity before. And that comes with things like enormous health benefits as well as the, uh, the, the, the benefits of getting microenterprises and things running. But it is still kind of chicken and egg, isn't it? How you actually get this this flywheel turning in the first place to get people to change over. Absolutely. And that's where central government comes in to provide the incentives. And uh, as Jade says, the, you know, a lot of those kinds of uh, policies and incentives are, aren't there at the moment. Uh, other countries are doing it. For example, in Germany, the uh, peer-to-peer microgrid connections in communities, uh, they're quite well advanced in some places, uh, also in the, in, in the US. But it, it needs somebody uh, at a higher level of policy to, to come in and say, uh, look, this is a way that we can, we can move forward. It's, it's not just about net zero. It's about uh, using the uh, advances and the, uh, the innovations that we've got uh, technolog- in technology now to be able to uh, change the way that we generate and distribute electricity. Well, we all seem to be singing from the same hymn sheet in lots of ways that change has got to happen and that government has got to allow those changes to be made to happen effectively. So, Jade, how how do we push this forward, particularly if you're somebody who's working in the electrotechnical sector at the moment and you've got a business and that you want to be promoting more of these kind of things? How do they take this argument forward if you actually want to be installing these new systems? Where do they need to be pushing to make these changes happen? I think there's two sides to that. One is join the voices that are out there already that are calling for this to happen. That's what we do as an organisation at the Sustainable Energy Association. We bring together the companies that are trying to do the right thing and we collectively talk to government and provide them with ideas and solutions for what they can do. Um, There are many other organisations out there as well and there's collaborations through things like the the Construction Leadership Council where the sector's already coming together and trying to decarbonise. So they've got their Construct Zero campaign um, that anybody can get involved with and they're already sort of sharing knowledge on how companies can decarbonise and what they can do and showcasing those that are leading the way. So there are collaborations out there and organisations out there that are calling on government to do more. But then also the sector needs to do more itself. Um, You know, consumers need good quality, independent, simple to understand advice. So the industry needs to do that. So companies can be providing that kind of advice and helping to take consumers on the journey. Um, They can also join these collaborations and delivery networks. John mentioned housing groups, innovation groups that are already coming together. Um, West Midlands Combined Authority, they've just been awarded one of the biggest amounts of funding from government to deliver their decarbonisation strategy by bringing together local businesses and the local authority who are coming together with a solution. So you can join those groups that are happening locally, local enterprise partnerships, consumer groups and join forces and be a part of making it happen as well as just sort of complaining to government that things aren't going your way we need to do both and and when you actually talk to people who are involved in the industry who are actually going out and and fitting solar panels or putting in heat pump systems or whatever um, are they are they generally receptive to these kind of changes or are they a bit cynical about uh, the way that this is all going to happen. It's kind of a, a wait and see, well, I'll believe it when it happens. 
I think there's a lot of cynicism there. Our sector, anybody that's been in sustainable energy or, you know, the fabric side of energy efficiency for the last few years has seen chopping and changing of government policy. Um, so there is a, a reluctance to kind of believe what's going on at government level. Um, it really does depend who you speak to. If you speak to anyone in the heat pump market at the moment, they're getting a lot of support from government. So obviously they're quite happy. They're concerned because when government funding schemes go wrong, it damages the whole sector and we get a lot of negative press and actually that's that's in, in many cases unwarranted it's it's sort of cowboy businesses coming into the industry to make money and a quick win and and unfortunately not on the whole industry so it's a little bit unfair but we've seen that happen time and time again so people on the heat pump side quite happy they're getting the support people on kind of biomass solar are going what's happening with us we're not hearing it all we're hearing from government is heat pumps at the moment so they're very frustrated and um, all of these solutions are going to be needed um, nobody knows the exact energy mix that we're going to have by 2050 even the committee on climate change um they're, they're saying it, they're keeping their options open they've got different pathways to 2050 so we're going to need all these things we're going to need to stimulate innovation we're going to need to support all the solutions that already exist and support those industries through and they're not getting it equally it, it's very much a picking a winner at the moment so um it really depends on who you speak to but these people have been at it a long time they've got the knowledge and solutions and they're just not getting in there and there's not the right environment for them at the moment. Some great changes. There's some real positive things happening. I mean, I'm, I'm, I work in construction and to hearing them talk now about net zero, that it is happening in pockets, non-domestic buildings much, much further on than domestic buildings and retrofit. So there are some real good things going on. So things are definitely progressing, but there is still cynicism. And, and I suppose a lot of people now are saying, well, why would you get behind anything that's government funding? It might actually be better to just pave your own way and do the right thing and set up your business um, it can be a bit um, damaging if you just get behind government policy as okay. your business driver okay well as we do, we'll start to bring the the, the conversation to a close in a, in a few moments so john what's the the kind of the key idea the key takeaway that you want um, people to leave this conversation with if there's one big idea that you want people to go away with what is it well, uh, I, I think collaboration is really important. And um, uh, I'm going to put this in the language of microgrids. Uh, none of us is an island. We might spend some time working in isolation, but in the bigger scheme of things, we're all inter interconnected into the wider grid of society, politics, environment and economics. And our collaborations need to reflect those interconnections. Right, I think that sums it up nicely. Jade, how, how about you? What's, the, what's your key takeaway that you'd like people to, to leave this conversation with? Two audiences, really. The government audience, we need long-term joined-up policy to give confidence to the sector, to prepare, to build the collaborations they need, to invest in the capacity, the skills and the innovations that's going to be needed. For the industry, we need to start leading the way and do what we can. We all know what's needed. Um, we need to collaborate. So collaboration is absolutely going to be key for delivering holistic solutions for decarbonising our built environment. And as a very final thought, both of you, are you are you optimistic or pessimistic that we're going to be able to do this? I'm, I'm very optimistic. I think the technology is there. Uh, there's a lot of will there, not only at the, the local, national, but also at the global level. You know, these, these, these big global decisions uh, that are being made at the moment are are driving a, a lot of national policy, and that's coming down to the to to the local level. And Jade. 
I, I'm optimistic. I think it will be later rather than sooner that we get there. I think the carbon targets will put increased emphasis as we get towards 2050 on delivering this. So I think we'll get there, but maybe not as quickly as we, we could and should. OK, well, it's good to end on a, on at least a semi-positive note. <laughs> Optimism is there. It's not total disaster yet. Um, Jade Lewis from the Sustainable Energy Association and Professor John Lovett, chairing uh, Global Challenges at the University of Leeds. Thanks both ever, ever so much for, for being with us today. That's it from the, uh, the latest episode of the Leading the Charge podcast. And we'll see you next time. Thanks once again to the sponsors of this episode, UK Power Networks and 24-7 Group. You can read, watch and learn more about their work and about the full Leading the Charge series by going to leadingthecharge.eca.co.uk or simply searching for Leading the Charge online. And don't forget to visit contentwithpurpose.co.uk or find us on social to check out more of our podcast collaborations.